3: Connecting to the big show.
2: In three, two, one. We are saying, as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not
4: forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger.
2: The lack of empathy, these women need to get over themselves.
5: We're the
3: one for cork, and ready to talk. Can we
2: just talk? Call 1850-715-996.
3: Text or WhatsApp 83 396
2: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
3: The lines are live.
2: Let's kickstart the conversation.
3: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
2: On Cork's 96FM.
6: We'll know a lot more this evening. We'll get the announcement from Micheál. We think 6 o'clock Micheál Martin will uh, take to his feet. Usually it times in with the 6-1 news on RTE. So presumably he'll make the announcement then. And then tomorrow we'll look in more detail. Today you're kind of in the realms of speculation. Although we do know an awful lot more about what is going to happen. Uh, public transport... It's going to 100% capacity. Buses and trains, I think it's immediately. If it's not immediately, it's tomorrow or the day after. And then from Monday, September 6th, commun- Communions and Confirmations can resume. That'll be relief to a lot of people. Bigger crowds will be allowed at matches and outdoor events. They're not t- saying what size. 50, 75% capacity in some places. 60% capacity indoors with vaccinated people people live music at weddings live music back inside pubs Uh, of course everyone inside the pub still has to be vaccinated then september 20th a kind of a phased return to the office Uh, dance classes and drama classes due back around the 20th indoor sport due back around the 20th Then closing times in the pubs, which was in the papers over the weekend, back to normal closing times in the pubs uh, in the mid to end of October. Everything should be lifted by the 22nd of October, which incidentally and interestingly is the Friday of the Jazz Weekend. I don't know, do we have a Jazz Weekend planned in Cork this year or has it been formally cancelled for a second time? I don't know because they cancelled it last year very early on. So we're due to be out of this on the Friday of the jazz weekend and nightclubs and regular pub opening to be restored. Now, we will need masks on the bus and in the trains for quite a long time. And I also see where there is a discussion going on between Neffet, which, by the way, is due to be disbanded at some point in late October. Neffet and Hikwa are now discussing whether or not Masks in school for under 12s should be compulsory. And I know a lot of parents will be uncomfortable with that. They don't like the idea of the smallie having to wear the mask all day at school. But Neffet and Hikwa are meeting, or at least they're talking about, whether that could be done. Because of the fact, of course, that nobody under 12, for now anybody, or anyway, will be vaccinated. Uh, so we'll see where that one goes. 1850 But first of all, let us look this morning at long COVID. Now, it comes up. I think we were probably the first radio station, uh, if not in the country, then certainly we were the first of the major regional stations to discuss Long COVID, when it would have been around this time last year, or maybe a little bit into September last year, we we got word of a Facebook group for the sufferers of long COVID. And we didn't really know what it was at that stage. But we got on to a woman who told us of her experience with having gotten COVID very early on in the pandemic, and still not well, and still very unwell, and things like her mobility were affected, and things like her thought process were affected. And then when we had that conversation, I think she was in Scotland, when we had that conversation, we started to get phone calls from people who were sick since the start, and sick for months and months and months, and various levels of sickness. And long COVID, of course, the the major programs and the major media discovered in inverted commas long covid maybe earlier this year but well, we knew that this was happening to people as late as last september or october so we've been watching it for months and months as has professor liam amahony who's the professor of immunology at apc at microbiome at ucc and he joins me liam good morning Good morning, PJ. Um, as I said, this came to light to us anyway, maybe September, October last year through a Facebook group. When did you and your team first start hearing about long-term effects of COVID?
1: Exactly around the same time. And we were very fortunate that Dr. Karina Sadler in the CUH, the consultant ID physician, there started a a, a clinic to um, bring people back after they've been in hospital with COVID. And that was really the beginning of us looking from my side at the you know, immunology and seeing that there were still differences in the immunology of people with long COVID that we didn't expect. So it was to the second half, definitely, of last year and the beginning of this year when, when we started doing that. Is
6: it now an established proportion of people who get COVID? Like is, can you say now that there's a certain, I think the statistical term is baked in percentage that will get it?
1: you know there still isn't really um things are gravitating towards the five to ten percent perhaps Mm -hmm. um but still the definitive studies and particularly within the irish population have yet to be done and we are hoping to do a questionnaire based study uh, in a few weeks time that we'll be sending out to everybody to try and get an idea of within the community how many people are suffering from long covid associated symptoms
6: there was an interesting paper I read recently about, is it long COVID or is it just what we used to call post-viral sim- syndrome, which a lot of people get anyway? Is it a different type of illness? Do you think it is?
1: So yeah, post-viral illnesses have been well described in the past. You know, Even for the influenza 1918 you know, pandemic, there was you know, lingering symptoms at the time. They described them. You know, as a kind of a, a fatigue type type of syndrome. So, it's true that it may not be the first time, but I think it's still equally important because, you know, if we can understand why people are getting these symptoms, whether they've been happening before or not, you know, perhaps this will help us to understand what will also happen in the future uh, when people get serious virus uh, viral illnesses, and help us not just with COVID but also with other uh, viral. Uh, Diseases
6: of the people that I interviewed, a a number of them spring to mind, but they had been previously fit and active people, and quite young too.
1: Correct. Yeah. So the it doesn't follow the same, um, I suppose, epidemiological associations of severity in the acute phase of disease, where you know uh, age, for instance, is the most important factor for severe disease. That doesn't seem to be the case for long COVID. Now, it does seem that while children can get long COVID and have been described to get long COVID, they seem to be at less of a risk of developing long COVID compared to adults. But adults in general can be young, fit people or older um, people. It doesn't seem to associate with age like we see with the acute phase of the disease. Is there a
6: symptom pattern? We hear of things like brain fog. Um, I, I know one person in particular, a friend of mine, Dublin-based, who would have been quite fit and quite healthy and could barely climb the stairs for for nearly three months and still struggles to run a 2K run when she used to run a 5K quite regularly.
1: Yeah, this is not a a unique uh, story. I mean, there was a a report recently that put together all the symptoms that people reported on COVID and they had a list of nearly 200 different symptoms. So it's really a very varied uh, syndrome. It's not a single disease i think people experience symptoms for different reasons biologically so for example those perhaps who had a a very serious lung infection and had some scarring you know the breathlessness associated with that would be very different to someone who had a much milder disease but still experiences fatigue so there's not a physical scarring there's something else going on there so there'll be a number of different reasons we'll Behind uh, the symptomologies, and mm. the symptoms are really varied, but fatigue, brain fog are you know some of the more common uh, symptoms yeah. that people complain of
6: long term damage to the lungs is a very worrying
1: element absolutely, yeah, and I think you know this is where vaccination has really helped us because you know while we can see that people still may get a an upper respiratory tract infection, so you know of the nose for for instance that really serious disease that gets down into the lungs, it's really largely being prevented by vaccination, which is absolutely amazing. Yeah,
6: yeah. And, and even the people who were ending up in hospital with vaccination, despite been vaccinated and even the people ending up in hospital at the moment, we find that their stay in hospital is shorter
1: than it was, isn't it? That's right. So vaccination has really done what it's supposed to do in that it has reduced the risk of people really getting very ill. You know, you can still get an infection, but overall, it seems to really reduce that risk profile. So, you know, someone, uh, but remember, it doesn't remove it completely. So it's not that you have this shell around you that completely blocks everything that comes in. You will still react to uh, and with COVID, with SARS-CoV-2 if you encounter it. But hopefully you should be protected from having a very serious disease.
6: Yeah. You were quoted recently, uh, Liam, in the Echo as saying that parents should use their best judgment on children and the return to school. What did you mean by that?
1: So I think, first of all, it's important to say that the schools are really a well controlled and safe environment for children. And in the past, the rate of virus transmission within schools was lower than that seen within the general community. suggest that actually children are better off being in school and they're protected uh, more than if they're out uh, and not being in school but that said the risk of transmission increases with the activities that happen around the school so you know how does your school or sorry how does your child go to and from school you know what do they do at lunchtime do they all go down to the coffee shop shop on the high street together and forget completely about social distancing masks etc so my advice there for parents is Really to have a look at your child's day in its entirety and see where are the risky scenarios or environments uh, around the school that might be that you could identify and talk with your child about. And and this is where I think the, the, the parent really needs to exercise their best judgment as to, yes, that's a risky scenario or environment yeah. or you know, the child should do this or not do that. So that's really what that comment was relating to.
6: And I suppose if your child has any kind of uh, an underlying condition, then you, you would have to make some hard decisions, wouldn't you?
1: Exactly. And so I think it's very hard to make, you know, overall recommendations that apply to everybody that really, you know, they're very, very specific scenarios that are unique to different families. And, and that's really what I'm urging parents to do is to really think about this and see, you know, where do you need to be more careful and where can you be more relaxed? Yeah.
6: What do you make of this? I just was uh, outlining it there as I was waiting for you to come on the line. Uh, this discussion going on between Hequa and Neffet with regard to a possible, um, a possible compulsory mask wearing for the under 12s in school would you stand on that
1: so i i i mean I, I would trust their recommendation whichever way it goes because i'm sure it will be based on the data that's available for you know the risk level and how that risk uh, can be impacted by mask wearing so I, I you know in the past they have really stood as well with the recommendations that they've made and i'm sure this one will be equally well thought out okay um so yeah we look forward to hearing uh, what they recommend And lastly, Liam,
6: in terms of medicines for people with long COVID, are we using established drugs or are there experiments going on as to what we might use? Are there established drugs that help, for example?
1: So it's still a little bit of, um, you know, test and see. So, you know, with the patient representatives, the clinicians and the researchers, I think we're all working together to try and match up the patient experience or the symptoms with the observed changes in the biologies that we are now describing within new treatments and medicines that would impact those those symptoms. But we're really at an early stage of this, of really trying to associate the changes that we see with specific symptoms and understanding their importance to that symptom. And from an immune point of view, there are um, very uh, good targeted drugs out there, for instance, that are used in autoimmune diseases or allergies and asthma, that perhaps some people could benefit from some of these drugs. But that will be the next phase. The, the phase we're at now is really matching up the changes in the biology with the, the symptomology.
6: Okay, this is one that's going to be with us for a while. Thank you very much for being with us on the opinion line. Professor Liam O'Mahony, Professor of Immunology at the APC Microbiome at UCC. Thanks, Liam. 1850 Tommy says these vaccines are not working. Cases are 10 times higher than last summer, we had no deaths and less than 100 cases a day. Last summer, we could eat and drink indoors. Israel are now in a panic with cases at a record high. Winter will be worse than last year. Well, Tommy, I think the science says otherwise. Yes, case numbers are quite high. In fact, compared to this time last year, they are astronomically high. But the numbers in hospital and the number of people who were unfortunately not making it are much, much, much lower. I did some comparisons last week with January, when we had a wave in January that had thousands of people in hospital. Thousands of people. With the daily case numbers that we had in January, we had thousands of people in hospital. Now, this morning, is it about 350, I think. Now, I may not have the exact number. Of this. Actually, I do have it. The exact number. Do you know what I'll do? I'll do those numbers after the break for you, Tommy, and tell you exactly where they are. But look, the vaccines are doing what they're supposed to do. Everybody. Immunologists, virologists, epidemiologists, they're all they all—they're are all, doing what they're supposed to do. But I'll, I'll compare those numbers next. Thanks, Tommy. 1850 715
7: Can we just talk? The
6: opinion Line on Corks
3: 96. FM with
2: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk. They walk the walk. C-M-I-G mig.ie Oldies and Irish on Corks 96. FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Big, big, big show, show, show. Raid, 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 raid. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10am to 2pm. With Douglas Court Shopping Centre. They've got everything you need and more. Visit douglascourt.ie. Cork's 96 FM.
6: I've got those numbers for Tommy, but I'll do them in a minute because I want to go to our news reporter, uh... Maureen Tuig for a very sad story of the death of uh, 36-year-old Marie Downey, mother of three from Kildurri and her four-day-old baby son, Dara. Uh, They both died in March of 2019 at Cork University Maternity Hospital and the case was before the coroner's court yesterday. We haven't yet had a full inquest and I don't believe we will have a full inquest for several months yet. But, uh, Maureen, you can tell us what happened at the coroner's court yesterday. Good morning.
8: Absolutely PJ, good morning. So you're right there, it was opened yesterday at the Cork City Coroner's Court on Washington Street and it has been adjourned by uh, Coroner Philip Common. So we were in there early yesterday morning and then it went in camera for a while PJ which means that we were excluded from the inquest and couldn't report on what went on for those few hours. So what they were doing there, they were making submissions um, And when they came back after lunchtime, uh, Coroner Philip Common ruled that an external report um, that was made following an external review that it couldn't be used in evidence. So he has adjourned the inquest. It's been set only for mention on September 23rd. And the reason for this, PJ, is that, you know, the coroner said he doesn't, he can't just give out dates for the courthouse because he has to, you know, check the logistics, see if it's available and all that. So he doesn't have a date set, but it's going to be uh, put for mention on that date hopefully they will set a date for okay. hearing then. So um, what happened so yesterday
6: then, we had a significant yeah. move by CUMH...
8: Yes, so CUMH, there was an apology um, read in court yesterday. They expressed their their deepest condolences, you know, and they said that a a number of steps are being taken to ensure the safety of their patients. Now, uh, Dr. Keelan O'Donoghue, an obstetrician, she was represented by Una McCrown yesterday, expressed the deepest regret and condolences of Dr. Keelan O'Donoghue and said that her client wished to be associated with the HSC's apology. Now, Dr. John O'Manee, senior counsel uh, representing the Downey family accepted the apology on behalf of the family of the late Marie and, and Dara Downey. Now he stressed that they wanted a date for the inquest um, that they wanted it to be heard PJ before Christmas. Now the coroner Philip Commons said you know he couldn't guarantee it but he said that he was anxious to facilitate the family. Now Miss Downey's husband, Kieran, he he went to he stood up in court and he addressed the coroner and he appealed to him for a date before Christmas. You know, he said, there had been a lot of talk today, which obviously was yesterday, about, about legal issues, but, you know, just don't forget about these two important people, yeah. and they've been waiting for two and a half years for this, as you said there, PJ, you know, it was in 2019 when this tragedy happened. Yeah. Actually, two you know, know what I forgot to
6: later. do, Maureen, uh, is, yeah. is maybe for, for listeners who might have forgotten the, the, the very sad details of this, What what did happen in March
7: 2019?
8: Yes, yeah, so, Marie Downey is from Kildowry and she was found dead, PJ, in a single room at Cork University Maternity Hospital. Um, her son, Dara, he was born three days earlier. He was found critically injured underneath her and he passed away the following evening. So, he was just four days old, PJ, when he passed away in very tragic circumstances uh, and his young mum passed away um, the day before. And I suppose, as you know, they say in the inquest, it's a fact-finding mission to get answers to see, you know, what led to this tragedy. And unfortunately yesterday, and it's it very sad, you know, for, for all the loved ones involved, that they didn't get answers yesterday. And it went on for a number of hours in camera, legal argument came back and it, and it led to the inquest being adjourned and no date now again. It's in for mention on September 23rd and hopefully a date will be set then or if, as Philip Common said, mm. you know, that they'll see where they're going in terms of, of how it's progressing yeah. and um, he's hoping, he wants to facilitate the family because it's not easy for any family, yeah. you know, you know, having to go into court for an inquest and yesterday, as I say, they didn't get any answers, you know.
6: Okay, okay. Well, we'll catch up with it as as it goes forward and thank you for that. Our senior news reporter, uh, Maureen Tuig. On uh, the inquest into the deaths of Marie Downey and her baby son Dara, no official formal inquest as of yet. So, and any of the evidence yesterday is kind of blocked from us because of this legal argument which took place, and so we're not allowed to report on that. Others might try, but we're not allowed. 1850-715-996. Right. Let us get back to Tommy's question on vaccines. Who who argue? Tommy argues. The vaccines aren't working. Cases are 10 times higher. We would no deaths last year and less than 100 cases a day. Well, Tom, you're 100% right. This time last year, we had a handful of cases and we had no deaths for for weeks on end. Thanks be to goodness. Nowadays, we've got maybe 1,400, 1,500 cases a day. And we've had, I think, 15 deaths since the start of July. And our thoughts are with anybody affected like that. But there are 1,293 cases were announced yesterday. Uh, And there's 382 patients in hospital as of yesterday. 61 of them in intensive care. However, the averages of which we've become very used, the seven-day average is down a little. It's just 1,766 compared to 1,811 a week. And it's not much, but it's coming down slowly. The 14-day average per 100,000 is also down, again, only by single figures. It was 5.31 a week ago. It's 5.26 now. What they're obviously concerned about is the impact of back-to-school, whether that will have serious effect on the daily caseload. There's 85.8% of the population over the age of 16 fully vaccinated uh, Neffert wants that up to 90% before a major easing of restrictions, which presumably means we won't get anything until the back end of September. They reckon, HSE reckons they can do that by the back end of September or early October. So the numbers, Tommy, argue against what you're saying. In terms of the mask wearing for children in school, which is currently being discussed between Neffert and HICWA, I'm, not seeing Hik- I'm surprised to see Hikwa involved. I haven't seen them involved uh, too often uh, over the course of this. But anyway, Hikwa are involved in discussion with Neffet on to whether it would be prudent to make it compulsory for under-12s to wear masks in school. And I, I wonder what you think as a parent, if you're a parent of under-12s, and God, we've had a lot of them listen to us, if you're a parent of under-12s, I wonder how you'd feel about them wearing a mask in school for the next couple of months john says i'd class mask wearing as child oh my god child abuse because of the damage it does to their development socially mentally and possibly to their lungs it does no harm to their lungs john that's long since established none at all it may made them a little bit anxious and a little bit scared that's true but you know what it's down to a parent and a teacher to to bring them through that actually speaking of anxiety among children. If you have any questions for Dr. Mary O'Kane, I spoke to her here a couple of weeks ago and it's back to school week and obviously there'll be many changes and many things to be dealt with going back to school other than just the new books and the pencils and the rubbers. If you have any concerns about youngsters in school, I'll be talking after 10 to lecturer in psychology and education, Dr. Mary O'Kane. And be happy to put some questions to her if you want to send us any by text or WhatsApp to 083 396 96 96, 96 or by email to opinion at 96fm.ie. Caller says, PJ, I think the relevant comparison is not to January, where the seasonal effects of respiratory viruses come into play, but the vastly increased indoor socialisation over Christmas. The real comparison is with August of last year. I'm not certain but I think you'll find hospitalizations in ICU much higher. Oh, they are. Oh, they're far higher than this time last year, caller. I did that comparison as well. We had nobody in hospital in Cork and nobody in ICU in Cork this time last year. And we had a fistful of cases and we had whole regions of Cork City and County were effectively COVID-free this time last year. Then Delta happened and Alpha happened. So that's that's the reason. So the reason I'm comparing with January is because January is when we started getting alpha and a massive surge. So that's why I'm making the comparison. But I take your point. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six.
7: Can we just talk?
3: The opinion line on Corks 96 FM with
2: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. Cmig.ie. The Cork Diary on Corks 96 FM. Marymount's Mizen to Malin virtual cycle is underway. You have until October 31st to complete the 600 kilometer virtual cycle and help raise vital funds for Marymount University Hospital and Hospice. Sign up to complete the route which can all be done from your local area logging your daily kilometres as you go to register and for more information see marymount.ie if you have an event you would like mentioned email corkdiary at 96fm.ie
6: Corks 96fm Brian wants to know what about the 40,000 going to Croke Park don't think there's been any sharp rise since well Brian that was a week and a bit ago so it's too early to tell unfortunately, because this thing still takes about 10 days or so to manifest itself. The hope is there won't be a big sharp rise in cases following the 40,000 going to coke Park. That's the hope. Uh, PJ, says Craig the Trucker, a quick question, why aren't the council clearing the COVID graffiti by these stupid, mindless idiots on the road signs? I've just passed the one outside Cork Airport, which had graffiti on it for the past year. Now I know Cork Airport's as useless as an ashtray and motorbike, but for any tourists coming into the country, this is not a very good first impression. Says Craig. Well, actually, to be fair to Cork Airport, <laughs> to be fair to Cork Airport, that's not their responsibility. That road sign, that road sign, is the county council's responsibility or the city council. The airport's in the city now, isn't it? Tis I think airport. It's it's the council anyway. Responsibility to clean off any or all of those road signs. But thank you, Craig. Caller says, my sister has COVID. Her husband and son have been told they don't have to isolate. But sure, it could be brewing in them, and they're out and about. Could this explain the rise in numbers? My first question to that caller would be, is her husband and son, are they vaccinated? Because if they're vaccinated, the, the answers, the situations are a little different. I'm not too sure you have to anymore go into isolation if you're vaccinated they they are both vaccinated I'm not t- t- that would be worth clarifying actually do you have to go into isolation now if you're vaccinated thank you caller 1850 715 996 now shane has called the opinion and after listening to our conversation about long covid and i think shane you you have had long covid good morning or you still have it
0: good morning PJ. um yeah um i suppose i suppose i was diagnosed with <laughs> The coronavirus on the 4th of January, I think. Right. Um, and it's now August, end of August, and I'm just, I suppose, just beginning to turn a corner, um, probably, as I say, getting my life back, to be Cracky. fair. It's so so, so tell, me,
6: tell me, you ended up in hospital, I think, did you, back in January?
0: I did, so um, yeah, so I was diagnosed on the 4th, and I, you know what, I, I wouldn't say I was cruising, but the first, first five or six days of The coronavirus was fine, you know. I just felt a bit unwell and stuff like that. And then about day seven, my lungs kind of gave in to me a little bit. I just kind of got real, real shortness of breath, like almost like a tunnel vision, like you're going to pass out, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, but unfortunately, when I went into the hospital, um, it was at its peak. I think at that time there was two or three thousand a day in the hospital whatever with coronavirus so I stayed there for the night they just monitored me did some scans and stuff like that and said look there's no serious blood clotting or anything like that you just have to kind of ride it out it will get better and stuff like that so I left the hospital and I kind of just went home with the recovery you know um, so after about maybe two and a half weeks that's usually all you'd have the virus for until you start even better yeah. I kind of wasn't improving um, I was, extremely kind of uh, fatigued Um, and you know a month had passed there was still no change and you know they kind of almost call uh, call it like this kind of this kind of cloud brain you have yeah constant like all i can describe it as is if you're like walking around and there's like 10 kg of weight just pressing down on top of your brain that's what you feel like all day every day Under under tremendous,
6: as if you were under some kind of pressure or something, is it exactly? There's like a pressure on your brain and
0: just constant tiredness. (laughs) Like if I did anything at all, I'd have to sleep it off for three or four hours. And I was trying to maintain my job on top of that as well, so it didn't. didn't Um, And would you have been a reasonably fit lad, Shane? Would you? I was like, I mean, at the time I was I was thirty seven. You know, Mm. Um, I was doing spinning classes. out the dog constantly walking and stuff so like I wasn't saying I'm like, extremely fit but like I was active yeah. you know you looked after yourself like, as best you could yeah, yeah and it absolutely knocked me for six and you know like as time goes on as well like it affects your head as well like, you know you have to try and keep positive but if you literally can't you know do any basic jobs at home without yeah. having to sleep for three or four hours you know it kind of gets you after well, It's it's and the headaches as well like I literally had headaches for eight months solid. Good lord So I suppose after about four or five months of it I eventually kind of went to my doctor I said look Can anything be done? And I was lucky I had insurance And I went to a private hospital um, I spent like four days there And they yeah. kind of did every test under some CT scans And literally not one thing came up <laughs> And oh. I know I wasn't imagining it yeah. um, And then I was talking to a nurse And she had met previous people And she said look there's nothing you can do. And the best way she described it was your brain still thinks it has COVID. Okay, so any activity you do, your brain automatically shuts down your body.
7: Good
0: God. Um, and she said, it, it's rare. It happens in only some people. So she'd your seen, brain it, she'd has, seen it before, had she? She'd seen it before, and She said, look, my friend turned the corner on month seven. I the time, I on one four. So that was even more demoralizing, to be fair, to listen to something like that. But yeah. she goes, when you know, you'll know. And I thought it was quite odd. But then, weirdly, in the middle of August, I just started to notice I wasn't sleeping as much, and then I, all of a sudden I could go for a, like, a 5k walk on a flat. And then I added a few hills, and then I was like, geez, I'm not sleeping here anymore, you know? So all of a sudden, my body started to recover from COVID, but yeah, it was a long long haul after eight months. And the most frustrating thing was, nobody could do anything for me. Yeah. Um, I had seen there was a couple of, there was a really good Facebook group where I think it was a global Facebook thing, wasn't just Ireland, where everyone helped each other out and said, look, if you try these vitamins, they may help, etc., right. whatever, you know. It was like a support group. Yeah,
6: support, yeah. yeah. I think we may have found, that's, I think that's where we found this first last yeah. summer, or last
0: September, we found a group like that on Facebook, yeah. Yeah, so it, it was nice, it wasn't nice for other people to have, but it was nice to see other people going through the exact same thing. No, it you know? makes
6: you feel like you're not alone and you're not mad.
0: Yeah, yeah and I, I think the, key thing to where really PJ was because I remember after about month five I had a good week sometimes it comes in waves you know because one week I had a good week and I said I'll go upstairs I'd lost obviously a lot of muscle mass in my legs from not doing anything for months on end and I went up and I just did a few little stretches just to get the muscles going again and the next day chronic headaches um, just I was wrecked for five days solid um, so the main thing is just to be patient like it will leave your body eventually, yeah, but you can't the number one key takeaway is do not fight it, let it win, rest, sleep, do as little as possible, because supposedly if you do too much, it will fight back and come back worse wow but,
7: but that's, thing, a that's a very
0: interesting that's a very interesting
6: take on it because I think people who would be sick and tired of being sick and tired, shall we say after yeah. after four or five months the instinct would be right I'm going to stamp this thing out by hook or by crook but what you're hearing is no don't do that if it says rest me today rest today
0: yeah do not fight it and that, that was the key to me I eventually even my missus said to me she was like Shane just let it go just let it win and I did and I just rest and I slept. like even now, I'm lucky I'm back out on the bike I'm doing a couple of kilometres here and there on the bike but I'll come back and I'll rest for an hour yeah. like maybe I'll have a little nap Uh or oh, I've known, learned how to manage it. It's not fully gone, but I'll, I'll take a quick rest after a nice bit of exercise. Just not overdo it, you know. You're, you're yeah. getting there slowly but surely. Yeah. Turn okay. the corner. Turn the corner. All right, good man. Listen,
6: thank you for for that call, Shane. I Really appreciate it. Shane's had long COVID for since January, and he's just about turning a corner. But that's very st- solid advice from what he's been hearing on these support groups and hearing from even doctors. Don't fight it. Let it win. If it, if it, if if you wake this morning and your lung COVID symptoms are saying, "Uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh, we're not going out today," then we're not going out today. Simple as that. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Okay. Someone rang in and said, Vacc- "Vaccines, by definition in a dictionary, give immunity to an ailment." PJ is wrong in saying vaccines are doing what they're supposed to do, as people with vaccines are still getting COVID in relatively high percentages. Mm. The Webster definition, dictionary, famous dictionary, is that a a vaccine is a preparation that is administered by injection to stimulate the body's immune response against a specific infectious agent or disease. It doesn't actually mention uh, immunity. And it doesn't actually mention that you don't get the disease and every immunologist and every vaccination expert that I've spoken to since the start of this from the man who analyzes the data and who's been teaching us so much on this program, the great John Campbell to immunologists like Luke O'Neill to others have all said, nobody guarantees when you're vaccinated, you won't get COVID. Nobody guarantees that what they do say is that with vaccination, if you get COVID, you're much less likely to get sick, really sick. You're much less likely to end up in hospital. Those are the facts. And on that definition, the vaccines are doing their jobs. 185715996 On masks for school kids, Lou, I have family in America and they're already wearing masks in school, aged five and six. If the masks get wet, they even change them. I have a seven-year-old here, too, and she has said she'd have no problem with wearing a mask. And uh, on WhatsApp, children aged 12 in primary school should be wearing masks. It's mandatory for children aged 12 in secondary school to wear masks. In my opinion, a face mask for a 12-year-old is a far better option than a COVID vaccine, with unknown side effects long-term. Well, we'll leave that last bit out, but... Because they will eventually be vaccinated. They're they're working on it now. The companies are working on a, a version. If they have to tweak the vaccine well and good, they're working on whether the children's bodies will receive the vaccines as well as ours do. But it's coming. It's coming. And this is Josephine making incredible sense. Morning, PJ. As I keep saying, keep washing your hands, especially, and try to social distance. It's so important. If you're unsure about mask wearing, then maybe in a crowded space and... As regards masks for national school children, I'd be unsure. I think they have enough to deal with. and I'm even unsure about secondary school, too, says Josephine. Well, we know from Neffet and Hikwa, as in reported this morning, Neffet and Hikwa are discussing whether to make vaccines, or sorry, beg your pardon, masks compulsory for the under 12s. It, it may happen. It's not happened yet, but it may happen.
2: Can
6: we just talk? The Opinion
3: Line on Corks 96 FM. With
2: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Let me show you what it's all
3: about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix
2: Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM Catch me in the afternoons in Cork for amazing tunes brilliant giveaways while you're at work Oh that's brilliant it was very delighted Thank Congrats. you so in Popped yes. alcoholic champagne
5: Yes yep. it's absolutely
2: freaking <laughs> water all the way Woo-hoo. Old school throwbacks Hello Simon How are you? Finish that 90s TV phrase Go home Roger <laughs> And anything else you want to hear on the radio in the afternoon on Leaside Side. Yeah, Show you
3: what it's all about Send out. Simon Murdoch Midday to 4pm
2: With McCarthy's House and Home At Douglas Court and Ballincollig Shopping Centres All of great deals on all your interior decor On Cork's
6: 96FM <laughs> have two photographs in front of me uh, That were on uh, Joe Seward's Facebook page yesterday Of some kind of a melee uh, in Patrick Street They're near Waterstones The 203 bus caught up in the whole thing with people talking yesterday about peeing in the street and the smell of wee wee at night in the streets around Cork. And Now we've people fighting in the main street in the middle of the day, holding up tra- up traffic. And you know we've we've all this money being spent and all this time being spent making the city look great with outdoor dining and lovely. You know these big lovely umbrellas and parklets, which are popping up on top of those later on. Those lovely little small wooden parklets that are popping up around the place with plants and beautiful colour. But then you've got these is the only word for them—in the middle of the street. You came across it, Joe, did you? Good morning.
9: Good morning, PJ. Yeah, it was around um, five forty-five yesterday. I came across that, as you say, close to Waterstones, and there was two guys in the centre of Patrick Street. were holding up traffic on either side um, at a kind of a busy period in the evening. And um, it seemed to go on for about 15 minutes. One of them seemed to be uh, smashing something off the ground repeatedly, which might have been some kind of a signage for maybe traffic or roadworks. And every time he went off the street, he came back on and was smashing it. Another guy, I gather they'd been engaged in some kind of hostile behavior. And, you know, it went on until just after six o'clock, eventually the traffic managed to move along and a couple of lads cleared the, the debris off the street. But in that period, I didn't witness any guards. Although I gather a man was arrested after six o'clock when I had left the scene.
6: Yeah, the pictures you've two of them. Um, one of them is three guys I count in front of the two or three bus, very frustrated-looking bus driver inside it, and then another one is that bus I presume to the and there like there's there's some kind of debris like you say it's like a broken sign on the ground. Now that would be picked up on on guard the CCTV in the middle of the day. But but nobody came.
9: You would imagine, and uh, the fact that the, I think there was about three or four buses held up in traffic, that maybe um, bus drivers might have, um, you know, radioed to Guardy or even taxi drivers who were in the facility as well. And there was quite a lot of people around at the time watching on as well. So uh, it just looked a bizarre situation. You know, we've often seen antisocial behaviour at night, but to witness this at uh, tea time on a Monday evening, you know, was. Was was rather surreal.
6: You you spend a lot of time around town, Joe, and I know that from your Facebook page. Do do you think the city is getting more troublesome, more more dangerous?
9: You know, you hear a lot of people saying I wouldn't go into town. It certainly wouldn't stop me from going into town. I think the the, the city has really been kind of vibrant this summer with the the outdoor dining. And I think great work has been done and there's been a great atmosphere in general. So I think incidents like this probably, um, you know, may maybe paint a false picture. Things have definitely deteriorated and we see a lot of um, antisocial behaviour. I know Jerry Bottomer earlier in the year raised this uh, in, in the Shannon, I think, back in May. And I think Thomas Gould had raised it in the Doyle as well. But I think generally speaking, um, you know, incidences like this, uh, the behavior in general, the good behavior outweighs the bad behavior, but but things definitely have declined.
6: Yeah, yeah, and like you say, this was this was rush hour. This wasn't uh, night time. Uh, was there? Did, did you feel intimidated by by it, or did you just?
9: I didn't feel intimidated, but I I would imagine if there were elderly people walking by shopping, you know, it 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 would have been quite a scary experience, or even for people with children, it it wouldn't it it didn't look good, or for tourists as well. And and I know there's a lot of tourists in Cork at the moment. It wouldn't paint a pretty picture to see something like that, you know, in 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 the middle of the day. So all in all, it, it was it was disappointing to see but i gather you know there have been incidents like this in in recent weeks and people have spoken about people urinating publicly during the day in the streets and yeah. uh, it doesn't paint a pretty picture no
6: no it doesn't joe thank you very much for that uh, photographs from joe's joe's page if anybody saw that incident which was outside waterstones on patrick street yesterday joe says around quarter to 6 that way three four lads breaking something On the street, Um, now the Garda Press Office did issue a statement to the opinion line. uh, We inquired with them last evening, and they said a report outlining the full facts is awaited. But we understand Gardaí attended at Patrick Street shortly after six o'clock, following reports of a disturbance. One male was arrested under the Public Order Legislation and taken to the Brightwell Garthas station. Traffic in the vicinity was briefly disrupted and there were no reports of any injuries. And as I said, that was uh, subsequent to a, a, a query from the opinion line to the Garda press office. They issued that one.
3: The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we
2: just talk? Call 1850-715-996.
3: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
2: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
3: The Opinion Line with PJ
6: Coogan.
2: On Cork's 96FM. Yes,
6: yeah, some clarity gene tells us that the HSC website... Uh, Now informs readers, if you're fully vaccinated and have no symptoms, you do not need to isolate your movements or restrict your movements if you are at close contact. So that would explain the situation of our previous uh, caller who said my sister had COVID. Her husband and son have been told they don't have to isolate, but it it could be brewing in them. And they're out walking around. Could this be a case? Explain the rise in numbers. And the answer to that was that they have actually been vaccinated. And the present HSE instruction is that if you have been vaccinated, even if you're a close contact, you do not have to self-isolate or restrict your movements. So that's good to clarify that. 1850-715-996. I spoke to Dr. Mary O'Kane last month about youngsters and anxiety and we said that when uh, back to school was happening or the start of school was happening that we would catch up again and indeed mary has a webinar coming up this week on anxiety in children she is a psychologist and an educationalist and lecturer in both and good say so she joins us again on the opinion line mary good morning to you
10: hi pj lovely to talk to you again
6: lovely to have you back this is a stressful week in, in many a household for any number of reasons. First day at school, going back to school. What's the advice? Just just take it as it comes, is that it?
10: Well, funny PJ, it is stressful for quite a few children. But I must also say, there is a big group of children, a big cohort, who are dying to get back in the door to school, dying to get back to mix with their friends, and preschool, the same thing, but... Um, but I think it's probably only natural that there are another group who are nervous. Yeah. If you think of everything they've been through in the past 18 months, PJ, you know, it, it's really, really not surprising. And they've had this summer of, this summer, really reconnecting with their families. I kept talking at the beginning of the summer about having a summer of play. And I think a lot of children have done that, just nearly an old fashioned you know, summer they've had. And it is a little bit hard for them going back to the pods and the rules. And mm-hmm. um, so I think as parents, the first thing I would say to any parent, if your little one or even if your secondary school child is feeling anxious, um, the most important thing is they are always reassured by us. So if we are steady and calm, th- the children feel, well, no, that's okay. We're always their first point of safety. And they look to us to see how we're responding. So I'm always saying to parents, even particularly if you have a little one going in for the first time and you're feeling that little bit tearful, it's important to just you know breathe really deeply. They need you to show them your know, school is a good place and, you know, you'll be happy there whatever. And um, we also sometimes if they say they're nervous and we say something like, oh, don't be silly, you'll be grand, get in the door there. But instead we say, Trying not to dismiss their feelings, so if they are nervous, we talk about validating their feelings, and that's just saying to them, "Look, pet, it's only natural to feel a bit nervous. You've been off all summer, and you know lots of boys and girls will be a bit nervous going back in. So you're just letting them know, and um, you know that's okay, that's fine." You know way routine
6: parents are all concerned, obviously, about uh, not just uh, the COVID uh, restrictions and the. COVID situation in schools and the children who haven't been vaccinated. Parents are concerned yeah. about that. But how important is it, Mary, to have a game face for the kids?
10: Oh, you know, PJ, it honestly really is. I honestly can't underestimate it. Do you know something? As a parent, and you know yourself, when something is threatening your child, if you like, when your child is really distraught, when you see them upset, it is like this primeval instinct to scoop them up in our arms, protect. I'm absolutely going to protect you. But this is one of those moments when we—they are better. Now, I'm not saying obviously don't talk to them and don't validate their feelings. We do that. But it's one of those moments where it's also good for us to stand back a little and to show confidence in them that they're ready to face this new challenge. And you know, even the little ones who are starting for the first time. They, we spoke a few weeks ago by pre schools and you know, what they'd learned, all the social and emotional skills that they'd learned in those years of preschool, they will stand to them. So it's important that we show them um, Okay, yeah, it can be a bit scary. It can be a, you can be a bit nervous going back, but but I know you will be fine. I know what a great little student you are. I know how good you are at making friends. I know what a good little learner you are. So you're mm. showing them you have absolute confidence in them. You PJ, it really helps.
6: Yeah. Listener was on um, to say, my child came home from school yesterday and said they weren't playing with anyone at break time. Didn't seem overly bothered by it, but I'm worried. That if they're not mixing, should I be worried about that? Is that a... Is that I think what this listener is asking? Is that a social skill they're being denied by the pods and the, and the not mixing and all that?
10: Yeah, well, now, I have to say the pods do have a bit of an influence on that. Although I did hear anecdotally last year that they, they slightly wandered a little bit out of their pods, particularly the little ones, because they do their own thing. But what I'd say to this parent is, first of all, that can be actually quite a clever um, defence mechanism. Sometimes, if you're a child and you go in to this new environment, even if they're not a junior infant, even if they're changing year and it's you're, you're facing this major transition, you know, new class, new year, new teacher, whatever... It's actually quite clever to step back a little bit and observe. And some of them, particularly the deep thinkers, they do this a little bit. So your child may have at lunchtime, if the others were just tearing around, they may have stood back and just be watching what's happening. And it really can be quite a clever approach. The other thing is, sometimes they might say to you, oh, I wasn't really playing with anybody, but actually they were chit-chatting or they were standing watching with other children or whatever. Now, if it goes on over time and your child says, I'm really not making friends, I'm struggling to make friends, at that point, I'd have a quick word with the teacher because it may even be who they're in a pod with or something they're not connected with. But very often, I really, really wouldn't worry, particularly the first day. That little watchful standing back approach, honestly, is—it so many of them do it. And they just sort of pretend themselves and settling themselves in yeah. that I wouldn't be concerned at all you,
6: you know yourself when you have a little frowner as I used to call them, a little well, frowner yeah. just standing <laughs> at the corner with this little very serious, a look that's like, it looks more like 60 than 6 and they're yeah. looking on going, I'm not quite sure what's going on here now
10: There's nothing <laughs> to worry exactly about there it. is there? No, and PJ, they are very often the very clever little ones. As I said, those deep thinkers—they're the children who are. I'm just going to stand back here. I'm not going to jump in. I'm going to observe. I'm going to see what's going on. I'm going to make up my mind if I kind of like it here and if I if I want to get involved. It is genuinely quite a clever little thing to do. You know, they're they're being quite strategic, if you like, in their thinking. So you might be a very very bright kids there now in the future.
6: Yeah. You know, in terms of the the COVID restrictions in general Mary, do, do you think that there is any danger that the, the restrictions that the children are having to live with in school, many parents are worried that they'll have a long term effect
10: will they? Yeah Oh, you know, PJ, this is a really difficult one. Now, you know, obviously I'm not medical, I'm psychology, so I'm all about the social and emotional development. I think one thing we can say is we can learn from what happened last year. So when they went back last year and we were concerned about putting them in pods, we were concerned about the constant telling them, you need to wash your hands, you need to sanitize, you know, don't hug your friend. And when we were concerned about that, how they would cope, the vast majority of children coped well. Probably a lot of thanks for that is due to the preschool practitioners and the teachers who really supported them. Having said that, we don't really know at this point the impact it will have on, on their long-term development. So even, I heard you talk about the masks earlier, um, and it's funny, so many people seem so sure of their feelings about the masks, and I'm, I'm really unsure because medically I can really see the argument to protect our children and to keep them safe, and yet, socially and emotionally, some children will really struggle. Looking at, particularly for little ones, they're very concrete, so they're very visual. So, seeing the expressions on a face and the smile, like you know, we were talking about smiling, smiling with your eyes and things, that mm. wearing a mask is harder for young children. So, I think we just have to be careful. Yeah, about I, actually, I was going to get but, to that
6: with you because you've seen them, you, you will have seen the reports maybe this morning that there's a discussion now going on between yeah. Neffet and Hikwa as to the advisability of making masks compulsory, at least for one term, for the under-12s and the 3s, 4s, and five, well the 5 six, and 7-year-olds. How would, As a psychologist purely, how would you feel about that?
10: Well, funny PJ, I think you've probably hit the nail on the head there. Nephes and Hikwa so, who's representing the children in these discussions? That's what I'd like to know because there's just a slight danger that that may become a purely medically based discussion and I do think it's important to have people involved in that discussion who are looking at the rights of the child and for some children and I really don't mean for all. So many children... Will I believe there's a
6: paediatrician on Neffert or a, pediatrician, a couple of paediatricians on Neffert. Well, so that's
10: we're... good. It'd be nice to see a, a, one or two child psychologists as well but I... For so many children, they would adapt to mass. They really would. Some children, I think if it is put in place, there are some children with additional needs for whom this would not be advisable. I think we really need to recognise yeah. that. Yeah. For so many, they would. If I'm honest, PJ, I think my three children would have coped with this in primary school. I think they would have adapted. It might have taken mm-hmm. a bit of time. I just think it's important that we don't lose sight of their emotional well-being.
6: It's too. a very important point you make about kids on the spectrum because strangely enough, and, and kids with additional needs in general, like, yep. take two kids on the spectrum. One will be, I won't say happy, but they'll be quite content to sit there with the mask on. Another just yep. cannot have it any, anywhere near their face. And And the third one will be frightened by the fact that their friend is in a mask.
10: Exactly, and that's really important, PJ, because individual. If we if we put in a blanket ruling, all children are to wear masks. I really think that's so unfair. I think we need to recognise that the majority of children may may adapt to that a little bit of time. Teachers will be great at introducing them, whatever. However, for some children, and it's important that we recognise that those individual children have rights too. So it's about the, the balance and accepting the needs that even to allow a few children within that class who, who really are unable to do this to recognise their needs as well if it is brought in but I, I just think it's important that in these discussions um, that we recognise their emotional development as well as the medical it's a balance
6: How careful do we have to be to avoid and the term is, there's probably a new one now terms change every week Mary but helicopter parenting does that do more harm than good?
10: Oh, PJ, I'm telling you, I, I, I'm i speaking here as somebody who lectures in psychology, but an ex-helicopter, PJ, oh, because really? I have a big old streak of helicopter in me <laughs> and I have to fight against it. I have to stop myself doing it as mine get older. I think when mine were little, I was that mum when they were climbing really high on the climbing frame in the playground. I'd be like, oh, 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 be careful. You know, and I had to make myself stop because it's so much better for them if we can... Give, allow them to challenge themselves. I think when we helicopter and we when we try and control them, PJ, we're limiting. Their development. If we I'm I recently published a book back in April and it's called Perfectly Imperfect Parenting Connection, not Perfection. And it's a lot of this argument about learning to stand back and to maybe encourage your child out, out of their comfort zone to be as strong and as capable as they can be. We talk about scaffolding them rather than helicoptering them. So you're encouraging them to fly rather than rather than doing what I used to do, PJ, and hovering over that child watching. Them.
6: Yeah, yeah. You, they end up. You, I, I often think it's it, it's not helping, even though you think that it that oh, it is. Not. And lastly, yeah. Mary, before I ask you about your webinar and pe- whether people can still join it, for for the most part, uh, I've come to the conclusion ha- having raised my own kids and looking around at my brothers and my sister's children and the way they've most kids will be yeah. fine. And that, we must always come back yeah. to that, mustn't we?
10: Oh, absolutely, PJ. And you know what? Our children are so resilient. And I know people say, oh, you shouldn't just say that they're resilient because that's putting the, the um, onus on them to cope with difficult situations. But PJ, our children are, very often they're more capable than we give them credit for as parents. As parents, we always see them that maybe they're a little bit more vulnerable than they actually are. They are, all our children, even the ones that struggle with anxiety, and you know, PJ, anxiety is one of my areas. I'm mm. so passionate about. But they have this inner well of bravery within them. And one of our jobs as parents, I honestly believe, is helping them see that inner bravery. Helping them see how strong and capable they really are and and helping them fly. And the vast majority of children will will fly now Mm. this term once they settle in.
6: Are there more spaces on your webinar tomorrow?
10: I'll tell you, PJ, if anybody wants to look me up on social media, I have a webinar tomorrow on anxiety, mostly for educators. I have a few parents coming on, but I'm doing another one for parents coming up soon. So Dr. Mary O'Kane, they'll find me on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and they'll get the details there. They can send me a message on that.
6: All right. Great to have you on the opinion line, Mary. And we'll speak again in the future. That's uh, Dr. Mary O'Kane, educational psychologist, um, thank you for that, 1850-715-996. We'll, we'll let you know when she's having those next webinars. But for the most part, the kids will be grand. But I like the point she's making about the, the masks for the very young children. It mustn't be just a blanket decision. There will be children who simply can't. There will be children who will be scared to see their friend in the mask. So everyone's got to work together. If if it is a thing that Hikwa and Neffet decide... Small children need to wear masks, then fine. But it can't be a one size fits all. 1850 715 996.
3: Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM.
2: With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
6: Yesterday we were talking uh, to McBarry TD. About the housing situation and about a protest that was being planned for Madden's buildings.
2: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science. With beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door.
6: in Blackpool uh, subsequently we got a statement from the council with regards to that but I'll come to it in, in a while uh, but Dennis wants to speak with us. Dennis you've been on a housing waiting list since since when? Good morning
4: uh, Good morning uh, PJ uh, I initially went on the housing list in uh, the 20 uh, sorry the 2nd of July 2013 right that's when I actually was uh, approved for housing. Um, so, uh, uh, But then what happened was I, I went back because I knew I was just single. I had no um, dependents um, uh, living with me. And um, so uh, like I, I knew it would be four years or five years maybe before I'd get a, a wreck. And um, the I went back to them in 2018. Mm-hmm just to see where I was on the housing list, Um, and I was told, I'm not on it, you know, and uh, apparently they purported to have written to me to um, um, an address that I was renting with, um, but I never got any letter, I had arrangements made uh, to have any mail delivered to me, or kept, and I would call back, and I did that for over a year or more, and... um, But I got no notification whatsoever. They also had my phone number and um, they could very easily have picked up the phone and rung me, you know, to say that they were looking for me or whatever. But that didn't happen. Anyway, look, I didn't um, give them a new address. I put my hand up for that. But then, as I said, I appealed that to have my time reinstated um, when I was back on to the... in December 18. Yeah. Yeah. Because I had... um, been given notification uh, of termination of the residence that I had been renting <laughs> uh, because they were in receivership and they were being sold.
6: Right, you, were in, you were in a private accommodation.
4: Yeah. I was privately, yeah, uh, private accommodation. And with were you head. entitled
6: to anything like HAP rent and like that?
4: Huh? I was getting um, rent allowance.
6: Okay, okay.
4: On obligations, yeah.
6: Right. So y- you you were at the protest in Madden's buildings yesterday, Dennis, cause I think you, you, Madden's buildings is a place you've identified that would be perfect
4: for you. Well, absolutely. I was born, bred and reared in um, Blackpool. I have a long, long association with Blackpool. Um, I was born there in 1956 and they're talking about crisis and what you call it, that was the year of the epidemic in Cork with the polio epidemic and we were quarantined, <laughs> you know. Mm. We overcame that. But um, the my i have my parent my mother and father were um living there in Blackpool my mother was living there my father was living in Farnley, and uh they were um as they say they were corporation tenants themselves and um my mother was a founder member of the um Blackpool Community Association. Mm-hmm. My uncle was the principal in Brocklesby Academy, as it was lovingly known, which was Blackpool Boys' name. Borden
6: Bread and Buttered, in other words. Uh,
7: yes. Brocklesby absolutely.
6: Academy. I've never heard that one before, That'd be fair. That's a good one. That is a good one. But, so you're living with your, with your sister now?
4: Predominantly, yes. Um, my sister is living in Mayfield. And. um she has been very kind to me and supportive um, since 2019 and, you know, I have imposed quite a bit on her.
6: See the problem um, is that they look at you now, and and you, you know this, you don't need me to tell you, they look at you now, Dennis, and they'll say, well, you have a place to live, so
4: oh, you're, you're not a priority, do you see? Oh, absolutely. And But I mean, I've informed them that, look, I don't have a permanent, I've used that address because if you're homeless... <laughs> You have difficulty with social welfare, you have difficulty with any sort of thing, whether you're getting your bank statement or your credit union statement or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So it is a great, you know, it is a huge difficulty. But well, you don't have
6: an address of your own as such, you're a care well, of right now, aren't
4: you? That's, that's my address, that's what I'm putting down as my address.
7: Yeah.
4: I, I mean, I got them to say that she would accept this as, um, and she would receive and keep posts for me. Because I have had to, you know, move elsewhere to other people just because I mean she has family of her own and they come and go as well yeah. and um, there's only the the one spare bedroom there and yeah. uh, I mean her grandchildren have ended up on the floor because you know yeah. I've had no bed for the night somewhere and um, yeah.
6: That's, that's having had, an impact on more than just you in other words
4: Oh absolutely absolutely I mean it's on it's all of us you know, I mean, it's stressing and straining relationships all over the place. But we're resilient, you know, and we're positive. Uh, no, I mean, sure, we get tired. There are times when I feel very frustrated. There are times when I am just raging mad at the system, you know, but we are resilient people. I mean... Um, my mother was an extraordinary woman she raised nine of us my father died very young um the eldest was 14 That girl a woman i'm staying with prida and um from time to time and she raised nine of us on her own you know and was an exceptional woman and yet at the same time was there to you know help and assist in the community she was a founding member of the blackpool community association and um, she was out there giving sewing lessons to women back in up in in the Assumption Convent in, mm-hmm. when it was there and up in the Pariocle Hall, as they call it, in <laughs> Gronabar. <laughs> they just go up there as well to help and support families. That was in the 60s, uh, you yeah. know? And, like, I mean, she your, was... Your, always, family,
6: your family is steeped in the community of Blackpool and yet here you are, kipping in your sister's spare room. Who do you blame for this situation? You sound like you're a very measured man, so you're not going to start shouting names at me, I know that, but who no. do you blame for this situation? Well,
4: you know, I, I, I mean, I've got to look at um, system structure. I think I have to look at that. And, you know, I, I mean if we look at the patterns of behaviour that is now, and I'm not just talking about this housing situation. If I could put it into context, and if you bear with me, please, PJ, I will, but interrupt me at any time. I mean, I have been living in that area and walking in that area for years and years and years, right? Yes. I mean, we had horrendous housing conditions in the 60s, and we walked, I remember with the Blackpool Youth Club, we went, got a Walkman's Elephant, and we slept on Blackpool Bridge, and collected money so that we could do up houses. This was a precursor to share, even. Do you know, yeah. and I remember walking from Cork to Bandon, collecting on the way, and uh, for money to do up houses that were people that were in rented accommodation living in terrible conditions uh, because of neglectful landlords or whatever, or their inability to, you know, do things. Um, so like there was that I have, I'm an avid pro-lifer I have always been mm-hmm. like very much pro-life and you get out there and you do it and you work and you try and find solutions and I'm also totally a believer in that this community solves problems mm-hmm. you know and but like what I'm blaming here is this: this the system structure that is, creates these mental models of God help us they don't know anything to who are they? And I mean, I have suffered from that down through the years. How, how
6: do you mean, God? Who who thinks that? God help us! They don't. I know I, I
4: I think like you know, people in maybe the political class, as they say, the um, people who are there employed by the um, like the civil service. I think the people
6: who make the rules and impose yes. the rules don't know what it's like to live under those rules. Well,
4: I. Some ways, that's it. Like, I think it's it's their like what values, what assumptions, what belief shapes the system. Do you see, and like, they if they don't respect. I mean, if I can go back even to the seventies when we they were building those high rise flats in Blackpool, we protested back then to say, look, this is going to be a disaster. Do you not realise? what you're doing, that you're shoving people up these flats. There wasn't even a lift, do you know? And people with buggies, prams, do you know? Young mothers and fathers mm. trying to pull and drag and shopping up and down those stairs, horrendous. There was one shaft going down the center of the each tower block for rubbish. Mm. And they just get jammed and it should be spilling out all over the place. And we pointed all these things out, you know. I remember like in Farnry when we had, I was involved with a group up there called POTS, Part of the Solution. And we worked with the uh, engineering department in the city hall uh, about developing a custom-built unit when we were scourged with joyriding up there, you know. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to get him to build this unit. That would be vested in the community and still owned by the corporation and things like that. And they came up with a plan. But the eaves were way too low. It was decoratively, it was lovely. But, like, the reality was, it was access to roof and it was in danger of being set fire to. Do you know what I mean? Because it was too low. And we said, it wasn't even asked that. I remember in the... um, late 70s, early 80s we sat the then manager of the city uh, hall, McHugh at the time um, a very good man, a very bright man and we are sitting him inside in a wheelchair you know because I'd been involved with polio the car polio, Just go around
6: and see what it,
4: what, what it was yeah. like and just well, brought him around effectively
6: what you're telling me Dennis is that this stuff is going on these deficiencies are they're almost bred in now at this stage
4: they are and they, I, I don't know it's just about thinking outside the box like for instance I'll give you an example like those houses down there in man's buildings right now the number 38 where I was photographed outside yesterday the last occupant to that Eugene God rest his soul do you know mm. he died on the 21st of June 2019 mm. 2019
6: two years ago and it's still empty
4: and that house is still empty
6: and what and, kind of nick is it in Dennis
4: no there's they have done it up. But, like, I even went and I was uh, talking to, um, well, I, I emailed Brian Geary at the time. He was one of the housing officers. And um, I said, look, i take the house as is. Yeah. You know? And I, unless there was a structural default or something like that, I was willing to go in and do it and work it. And we have the things, like, I mean, Father John Donovan in Blackpool, the parish priest there, he has these workers from Northside Enterprises. And, like, they've gone around and they've um, done in houses. Uh, you know, done them up and revamp them times. for warmth and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Do you know, I mean, like we don't need building uh, planning permission to have these houses. I like, guess I said there's over four hundred houses on the um, vacancy list yeah. in yeah. the city of Cork.
6: Yeah. I how think. long? How long does it take?s You to, to to sort it all out, Dennis. I hope that you find something for yourself very very soon. I wish you and your sister and all the family very very well. Appreciate you uh, being with us today. I get the point you're making so we'll kind of leave it there for now but thank you very much Maeve says Dennis is a lovely man who has been really involved with his community over the years I hope the community will rally around him and help him find somewhere secure to live the the, the system not me the system says he's got a place to live and therefore the system makes him less of a priority but as he said his sister's grandchildren are sleeping on the floor so he has a bed which doesn't exactly make it comfortable for anybody. Just in response to yesterday when Mick Barry was on the show, he he made some comments about the number of people in homeless services at the moment. City, the City Council uh, issued a statement to us yesterday saying there are currently 292 individuals in homeless service, not 413 as suggested. The number fell. Uh, for the number uh, the number of families in homeless services has fallen from 49 in January 2019 to 34 at the end of the last July. Now, there is a problem with the lack of one-bed units. That is a major challenge, they admit that, but with the help of groups like the Peter Mate, Very trust they're making progress on those cases. Uh, they say public health restrictions impacted on the work on vacant council housing over the last while the overriding priority was ensuring that homeless people had access to emergency accommodation. Central Government has provided €24 million in funding to Cork City Council over the last number of years to bring vacant properties back into stock. And they say, and they envisage, that all but a minimal number of available units will be rented and available for rent by the end of March 2022. That's just a statement with the council's side of the story.
7: Can we just talk
6: The opinion
3: line on Corks 96 FM with
2: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. MIG.ie.
3: Access all areas on Corks 96 FM. Your
2: guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's
1: Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. The Clonacilty International Guitar Festival returns this September for its 17th year as organisers attempt once again to electrify the streets with the sweets. Down of the six strings. Tickets for in-person performances are on sale now at clonguitarfest.com Access All
2: Areas.
1: Cash Returns has been hailed hands down the greatest and most exciting Johnny Cash and June Carter tribute currently playing live in Europe. The show comes to Cork Opera House playing all of Cash's classics on Thursday, September 16th.
3: Access All
1: Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at AAA at 9 96fm.ie.
2: Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife
3: on Leeside.
2: On Cork's 96fm.
6: Valerie, you and I have spoken before about Kimberly and about the impact that her tragic death had on the family, but on the entire community. And there's a campaign on up there now to get proper traffic calming measures. Now, you met at the weekend for a walk, March.
5: Yeah, PJ, we met on Harbourview Road in the school where Kimberley would have been attending. Um, It's for the the Irish Road Victims Association. Mm -hmm. Um, So yesterday I went ahead um, for the march just in remembrance and um, for their own campaign of all those lost on the roads. Um, A few of the organisers came down to meet with Jennifer and the girls. It's going to be a walk that will go ahead every year in remembrance of who died on, on our roads, you know. Yeah. It's gonna be yearly, um it's gonna be yearly walk that will take place.
6: You're also campaigning to get traffic calming measures up there. How is that campaign going?
5: Still ongoing. As we said at the start, um our group impacts community matters, as we said at the start that like, you know, we won't give up. We will still continue to raise our voices, um they put up um the digital signs. The speed signs at the moment, but we're in the process of waiting for the speed ramps to go in. You know, mm. um, to my knowledge, they've been approved. We're just awaiting um, more clarification, I suppose. But um, you know, we we need we need them to go in um, with the with the new road up there, new estates and stuff. TJ is kind of getting very difficult. And um, for traffic, you know, and um, cars pulling in and out, there are blind spots. There's a lot of blind spots up there. And like the school's going back now as well, there's extra traffic on the road. And in general, we just need to get them done as soon as possible. So we are going to be putting a push on Cork City Council, you know. In other words, we're not going away, like, you know. yeah. yeah. Um, you see all over the city there, like they're, they're putting in um, bike lanes and stuff. Yeah. You know, I know they need to go in as well, but we need these ramps and the surrounding areas in Knocknohini. We need them on the road because, like that, it's a major, major busy road. Yeah. You know, our campaign is still is still live, it's still ongoing. And, it's like, we just need to put a push now, as I say, on Cork City Council to get this up and going again. Because otherwise, PJ, we're going to have to go around to the road again ourselves. You know, and I don't think we should have to do that when we're, when we're trying to save lives on yeah. the roads. You know, we, no one wants to walk that walk, DJ. No. You know. No. So we, we'd rather prevent it than to to be adding more families to it.
6: How busy are those roads at, at rush hour, for
7: example?
5: Oh my God, they're treacherous because you like you have buses, you have um, traffic from Apple the whole way up or like uh, like I was I was parked yesterday in Super Value when I came out from Super Value um, entrance and you know there's a there's a roundabout by the school there on the junction. Yeah. Like I came out, I was walking across the road and like this guy, he didn't even go around the roundabout. He went through the roundabout. So like some people don't even drive around it; they're going through it something needs to be done with it. I know there's a thing that's going around I suppose like people are just driving through it. The traffic lights up there again. Some people don't stop, you know, and they're like there's test of traffic lights that's too close together. The road the road is just so busy, PJ, that it needs immediate immediate action. Yeah. Like yeah the the signs they put up the digital ones, they're everywhere. Like you know, they turn red when you go too fast and when you go under they they go green. But we, we need the ramps to go in, and that major stretch of road, we honestly do, you know.
6: And do you have support from your local councillors to get those ramps in?
5: We do, yeah. There, there, we, since day one, um, like, McNugent is always out with us. Um, Kenneth Collins is always out with us. Um, Thomas Gould, you know. Like, yes, when we done the walk yesterday, like... Um, the lads they went out and did the road stewarding, mm. you know, came the traffic, even though we had one of the, the local guards from Grand Guard station that's been there since day one with Jennifer. He led us the whole way, you know. So it was a nice it was a nice little touch. But yeah, we have our local councilors they they're always there for support. They're mm. always they always do come out. And you're
6: saying as far as you know, it's been approved by City Hall, but nothing has happened yet.
5: No, not yet. Not yet. So as I say, like we need to kind of put the push on them and, and see when they're going to even get a start. Because like with the new housing going up there there's just so many cars extra on the road and the new housing estate, you know, and a lot of children as well. There's a lot of children and like that coming into school time now again. You know? So we, we need to we need to slow it down in some way. I know some people say like, "Oh, ramps won't do nothing," but they, but they will because if you, when you come to a ramp, you have to slow down to go over it. You know, we just need the road, like to slow down and to calm down, like to you know if we put safety first, it might, it might make a difference. You know, but if we leave it the way it is, it's like no, we just have to, we just have to put it full, we have to go for it now again, and you know, just get it done because like. A lot of people are, are saying, like, do you know, oh, is that it? Is it going to happen? And we were like, yeah, we're just waiting on Cork City Council, you know. So hopefully, do you know, another family won't have to go through what we're going through.
6: I see the a lovely tribute with balloons over the weekend.
5: There was that. That was in the school. Um...
6: How is everyone getting on, Valerie? How are people holding up?
5: It's very hard, C J. You know, like it is very, very hard to have that constant image, you know, and especially for Jennifer and the girls, like they come outside their door and, you know, the tribute is across the road. Um, but it's very hard, very hard, very, very slow to to take in. Yeah. But with the with the memorial walk, um like the guys that were there from the association yesterday, like all of those have lost someone from the roads. But they were they were they're beautiful people, they really are. And it's a comfort to know that Jennifer and the girls can rely and lean on someone like that, you know. Yeah. It was beautiful. It was a lovely day, you know. It was an emotional day. But it was lovely to see everyone get together as well and come out and support.
6: Well, I suppose as the council will be resuming its regular meetings, uh, we'd hope yeah. that, that you get some movement on on getting those ramps started as soon as possible.
5: Definitely, because like as I say, like from from the words go, um, you know, we just we we just need it done. We shouldn't have to um, prolong it, or you know, it, they they know what's happening on the roads, and we would just. Yeah, had to use more if they, if they were put in place, you know, for our children and anyone crossing the roads. And like again, like people just need to slow down. Like the, I don't see the rush. You know, we need to slow down. <clears throat> That's it.
6: Valerie, as always, please convey uh, our best wishes to the family and, and that and we're, the we're, we're thinking of them.
5: And TJ just want to say thanks very much for always, you know being there for when We want to voice our opinions and you've been there since day one as well. So thanks to you and the team for always thinking of Jennifer and the girls.
6: Thank you very much. Valerie, take care. Thank you. Very kind words from Valerie. Thank you very much. That's Valerie Haynes, the auntie of the late Kimberly O'Connor.
3: <laughs> the lines
6: are live and we're ready to talk. Can we just
2: talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 83
3: 396 96 96.
2: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
3: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
2: On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, some people wondering, is he all
6: right? What's happened to him? Is he okay? Yeah, let me explain. While the recorded interview with Valerie was playing there I popped down as you do popped down to the kitchen make myself a cup of coffee completely underestimated the running time of the interview and thought oh damn I've only got a minute left tore up the stairs like a bat out of hell and of course not a good idea with all the stairs in this place so landed here to realise oh I've underestimated a minute and a half left so I was trying to get me breath back 1850-715-996 Rachel was on this is interesting Rachel was on to say my daughter failed her driving test because the driver drove through a roundabout at Toker those type of roundabouts are a joke I, is that the one Rachel down there near the Cork Builders providers the one that's literally only painted on the road I may tell you now loads of people fail their driving test because of that particular roundabout. It is a menace. I remember my daughter practising for her driving test and her instructor, who was a brilliant guy, brought her down there time and time and time and time again because it is a notorious place for failing your driving test. And while I'm also on, says Rachel, my third child is doing a driving test and the Wilton roundabout Still doesn't have road markings It's quickly becoming a free-for-all The main roundabout for those doing their test And learning Please, local authority, council Would you ever paint the road And fill in the potholes It's shocking Yeah, they're still using It's the Wilton roundabout Practically everybody on a driving test Is brought through The Wilton Roundabout I remember my own driving test Going through the Wilton Roundabout And even to this day It fills me with dread The thoughts of taking it on uh, For my test But if there's no road markings on it That's an absolute That's it That's like a dose A serious dose Thanks Rachel 1850 715 996 Now we've all been doing a little bit of DIY During lockdown and, And trying to improve the house this way, and some of us have done a little bit more than that with little extensions and extra bedrooms, and that's what we've done in Coogan Towers, and all very happy with it and all that. But imagine building your entire home. You built an entire house, tiny, tiny little house. How would it? How much would it cost you to build a small house for one person? What? Twenty thousand, thirty thousand, fifty thousand? Small, tiny house. For one person. Anya, how much did it cost you? Good morning. Okay.
11: So I was like, is he going to get another few? It cost me $12,550. Uh, how $50
6: on earth
11: did um, you do that? <laughs> a bit of hard work is how I put it. I mean, I'm a singer. I write music, so I'm not afraid of hard work. Because when you are one of these, you've, you've got to be up early. The, the old picture of us breaking the tires and throwing televisions out hotel rooms isn't true you know <laughs> so we're up early working anyway and then we've got a drive far and we have a work ethic and for me DIY and things like this were my hobby okay. and of course with the housing crisis I was quite struggling to find somewhere and I had been in conceal and that's obviously rather pricey now and there's not there's not much out there and people are really struggling and I suppose it was really worrying me the same way that's worrying everyone else. Saying, "How am I going to figure this out?" Mm. and have somewhere. And then, like, I don't like. It's. I just said, "Okay, I got to do something," and I didn't have anywhere to do it. But a little tree fell on my parents' land, and I thought, "Perfect, I could." And at the same time, my dad was having, going to be having some operation. So I said, "Okay, I could be there, but I could still work." and you know, write and play the guitar somewhere close. And I wanted to test myself because my hobbies are like DIY and carpentry and things like this. Right, my, and okay. My career is music, you know. So I just started uh, going for it. I just said, right, if I can just, a tree fell, there was a tiny bit. Tiny bit of land. It's only tiny, tiny. So I'm very grateful all the same. As much as I didn't want a tree to fall, but you know. <laughs> oh,
6: I've such. I listen, I've seen it. I've seen a picture. It's a tiny, tiny little house, oh, and tiny little So, little. so, so well crammed into the space. But it started with a tree falling. Now, did you? Again, DIY being a thing. Did you go to a uh, to a window supplier and say, right, yeah. have you seconds?
11: That's what I did first. That's actually how I started it because there, what costs people a lot is they try and build, say yeah. you're building your office in the garden and then they build it and then they're trying to get windows for it to suit what's in and I knew that would catch me out
6: The other thing so, of course is when you have the windows you then know the size of frame and everything else so you build to the window that's very clever, I never thought yeah. of doing that before
11: Yeah, so you I drove the windows the first. Yeah, yeah. Wow. the windows first I threw them on the back of the van and came home and then I made a little plan on my iPad around that, and I, I chatted to people too. I chatted to architects, and I chatted to a friend of mine who does professional big ones, um, big man tiny homes. JP is a friend of mine, so I, I got advice off him. And mm. and you know, I just needed to. And as I say, like with the pandemic as well, I was like, "What? Where are we going to go? How am I going to figure this out? We are going to be the last back, you know." <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, and I didn't want to just sit down and. There's definitely, I mean, when you think about if I can do this, if if the government had little, like, containers that they had wired up, people want to build their own thing. And when they yeah. say affordable housing...
7: like <laughs> They don't get much affordable started, than this. That's like,
11: not affordable. Like, like, less, like what, did you, you know? what did
6: you build it of? What did, you build it, what did you make it with?
11: It's just timber. It's up on a little steel base. It's timber mostly.
6: Right.
11: And it's thick, so it'll be warm and passive. So it's six inches of insulation. Yeah. The frame is timber, and then there's a bit of fiberglass on the roof and different layers. I made a green roof, Right. so it's all, it all keeps in. Yeah, is that a garden nature. on
6: your roof? Is it?
11: I do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, yeah, it's super. And they actually keep keep something warm um, in in the winter, and then they keep it kind of cool in the summer. Right. You know, and 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 then should a, you know, the birds and the bees are flying around there. You can barely see it, and more and more, you you wouldn't be able to. And you know, it's still a small little. Yeah, small structure you can pick up and move,
6: and you have electricity and running water. I take it.
11: Yeah, right. yeah. Well, they're being hooked up. I've been running a the cable there for a while, but I have a real electrician coming to sort that out. Yeah. I did some of the wiring, and then he's finishing yeah. that off. So you you've done all
6: there. the stuff yourself, and then when yeah. you need a bit of professional involvement, you get the professional involvement so, would, so they can yeah, sign the off on that it.
11: Yeah, needed. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't want to be. You know, it's very hard. You've got to try and do all these things. Like, I mean, I wish there was an easy way for people. Uh, uh, but there are definitely ways that, that, there's definitely solutions. There's definitely older buildings that people could do. I mean, it's people want to make their own thing too. It's, they don't all need, you know, like there's so much in Ireland. There's ways people can do it. If I can do this, other mm. people can too, you know, or do their own something. They, can, You know, it's, there's so many houses empty. Yeah. It's 11, think,
6: 11 feet high yeah. and 16 by 10 wide. wide. Now it's, it's tiny. Six, Six yeah, but sixteen by ten is the size I suppose of a decent sized sitting room. Yeah. Barely. And in in, in <laughs> yeah. And into that you have shoved what? Everything?
7: Yeah.
11: But I don't like it's it's warm now, so I don't have like a like it's a lot of like my office is there and working and the guitars and little kitchen and I'm finishing off a little tub and it's a big window so you you're, you feel like you're sitting in the trees when yeah. you're working. It's very nice.
6: And so, can you move this if you have to move I
11: can. See, this is the thing. This can be moved. So, I mean, in my head, I have to find a piece of land. I have to find a piece of land and I have to build and I have to find something. You're under pressure and you're like, how am I going to figure this out? And... And I just said, well, if I do something small for now and then I find the peaceful end and then I, you know, or at least if I can be able to look out close to my parents. But sure, it, I never thought it was an option. Yeah. And we're not.
7: Looking, we're at,
6: not looking a, at a photograph, and we're not telling people where it is, but look, looking at yeah. it f- for obvious privacy reasons. But for, for looking <laughs> at a photograph, like if you wanted to down the road and like if you had a bigger space, you could yeah. probably build the same again. Oh no bother onto it and literally just <laughs> stick them together.
11: No bother at all. See that would be the thing if I wanted to have something in the future and I could move and get a proper do the whole thing proper. At least if there's some give in what we have, I could then build easily For you know, if there was a, another a partner or there was something involved Fantastic. I can, you know, I could build two. He could have his own one.
7: Put <laughs> <he laughs> your quiet. little
6: recording studio in there if you want to. Yeah,
11: that's it. I play the guitar, and I have. I'm actually doing all, all of my guitar, my my music, and my writing. And there's a lot of paperwork involved in this kind of thing too. And now we'll be booking our tours, hopefully, which take a while. Yeah,
6: yeah. So you I'm must back. be delighted with the news that's going to come today that you can actually go back and start gigging again.
11: I know, and I have been able to go out gigging. Um, there at the summer, I converted a little donkey box. Nice. Into, into a portable stage. Good for and, you. Uh, I call it the Duff Box, and I've had great fun with it. I've still some gigs coming up at uh, the Carr County Council, Coco Pops, I'm part of that. And the crack has been 90. So it, that is is nice to have been able to do. But again, I was like, OK, I have to do something because I had a new song coming out and I was like,
7: yeah.
11: normally if you have a venue that you're playing, you know, then you can promote it more because you're saying, oh, I'm playing here, this is my new song. But yeah, I didn't know how I was going to manage this, so I just decided to. A to
7: stage and a PA
11: system, basketball. and you got the whole thing yeah.
6: together. Listen, yeah. you're you're a most ingenious and <laughs> <laughs> and you, it's brilliant. I, I I just cannot believe that when you see the pictures and you see the cost, it's it's unreal. Well done on you, and good luck with the music, and good luck with the career, and to you and every other musician that's out there. I'm so personally thrilled for you that you can actually start to get back doing a bit of what you do best thanks Anya. you uh 1850 715 996 back to harbour view road councillor tony fitzgerald tony good morning
12: morning pj tony what oh is you? the
6: latest with those traffic calming measures
12: yeah just to support valerie and the the, the, the residents there in terms of what's happening um as you know um there was funding secured there earlier in the year um, through the local area committees of €250,000 for each committee. So the, all of the councillors in the north-west ward um, sat down to kind of distribute that money, and we have included um, traffic calming for Harbourview Road. Um, so the money is secured, um, and the programme will be rolled out. Now, there's a process with traffic calming, Peter, as you know, that it has to go through public consultation first. Um, so the design is being prepared by the engineers and we should get a, 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 a copy of that or a, a plan very, very shortly. Might be not to the engineers to see what, what stage that is. So the design, the funding is secured. The design will be implement will be prepared by the council exec, uh, engineers and then it'll go to public consultation and then go to tender. So we're hoping to have that, that rolled out, certainly before in the next couple of months. Um, it's a normal process that goes through for every tra- traffic calming programme. Mm. Um, when but when was this there. first asked for, Tony? Uh, Formally, well, I mean, PJ, counsel- well, PJ, I, I live in Harvey Road last 40 years. We've been asking for various different things down through the years, um, and we've been successful with some schemes. Uh, but um, it has really come to highlight with the increase in traffic there and the number of incidents um and you know but, but finding the getting the money was was the first hurdle to get over we've mm-hmm. secured that now Good. um so it's a matter of 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 um you know supporting the residents and getting 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 the program rolled out you see not everybody either as you know for traffic calming, I mean, will agree to have a ramp outside their own door sure. or their sure. own driveway so there's a process there we've learned from that yeah. through various programs so so assuming that out. the
6: engineers had a drawing for you and yeah. A plan for you, yeah. shall we say? I don't know. Tomorrow's the first of September. When is your first yeah. meeting back?
12: Uh we, we well, we, it, this will come. You see, we've we've met already, so the, the decision is made. No, no, I mean, when's the first so, council
6: meeting of the new season?
12: Um, uh, Monday week, I think. Right. So if you Monday had week. if you but had
6: a full drawing, how long from the time you get the drawing into your hands? And the money is approved. Yeah. How long before we can actually see some building I work? Think right I think
12: that, based on previous uh, traffic calming measures, it takes about eight to ten weeks, um, if not a little bit longer.
7: Right.
12: Uh, pay. You see, what they do is they put the program into a, it's an overall package. Yeah. So, so the might they be there this side
6: of Christmas, like?
12: Well, 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 that's that's our plan. You know, that's that we'll be putting pressure on, on the council to make sure that that's done um um but we we we'll have our own local area committee yeah. uh i'd say before mid 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 um mid september uh, so we won't need to wait for a council meeting we'll we'll we'll, right. we'll have it discussed at a local area committee call, but call
6: me a little we, bit it, cynical if you will tony yeah. if, I, if if i were waiting for this, yeah. I'd be a little bit optimistic, and i tell you why, you know it, you have been a former Lord Mayor, you, you see the right. thing, there's, there's an area of time between about the end of October and the start of December that we call use it or lose it street, you get the work done yeah. when the money is there, so there's a good prospect of them getting these before Christmas.
12: Well, oh yeah, yeah, and in fact, the roads programme that roll out the traffic calming and the road resurfacing is normally done in the last quarter because it has to be agreed at the budget first, and then the process rolls out in the second quarter, and then it goes to contract. So it's normally in the last quarter of the year that the that the traffic calming and road resurfacing and footpaths. Great are done on the last... You'll actually see across the city at the minute there's, it's been rolled out, but Harbourview Road is a major priority okay. and just to s- reassure s- Valerie and the yeah, residents... So there's a were-
6: reasonable chance then, Tony, of it being there before Christmas.
12: Well, that would be my intention. Uh, you know, to make sure that that does happen. Um, mm-hmm. If it, if it's, it would be subject to, to the feedback from the public consultation. Of course, you know. Know. all going well then. This but, side, but, of the, but the money is secured Good. and we have decided on it. It's just a matter of going through the process of public consultation and tendering and be rest assured that uh, uh, I and my colleagues will be making sure that we can get it implemented as quickly as possible. Good man.
6: All right, Tony, thanks very much. That's uh, Councillor Tony Fitzgerald. This process, it's not Tony's fault, it's not his fault, it's not McNugent's fault, not anybody's fault. The process is as slow as a reverse state funeral. It just is what it is. But hopefully this side of Christmas they can get those Speed bumps or ramps, or whatever you call them these days, laid down.
7: Can we just talk? The
6: opinion line on Corks 96
3: FM
2: with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. KCN Ross in the morning, weekdays 6 to 9 a.m.
9: on
2: Corks. 96
9: FM Stormzy is getting his own waxwork in Madame Tussauds is that like the UK's equivalent of the Hollywood Walk of Fame probably will be for them to actually give you a space you're the waxwork. You're, you're you're kind yeah. of like you're important enough that people want to get photographs taken next to a giant candle made out of you <laughs> <laughs>
7: that's
6: what they should do put a little wick on the top of each each waxwork's
9: head and flog it for well a can- Joe
5: Wick
6: should definitely get one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Casey
7: and Ross in the morning with No
2: DCR's Blackpool for Skoda in the city a long standing tradition in Cork open 24/7 at milldc.com corks 96 FM
6: you often see there of an evening time or any time where you're passing Belle Castle it will be lit up in all sorts of colours, built up in the cork colours lit up in the Irish colours, lit up for anything at all. Great job that the owners of Belle Castle have done in lighting it up and projecting things onto it and it's brilliant, it's fabulous to see. But I think this is definitely a force to see a heart on it a heart projected onto it uh, with a, a shamrock inside in the heart and the words. Christy McDonald, will you marry me? Adam, yell charmer <laughs> you. Good morning. <laughs> morning, how are you? Good. This is Adam Gorgas, I hope I have the name right. That's correct. Okay, so talk to me about this. Who First of all, who is Christy and, and, and how did you go about doing this?
13: So, Christy is now my fiance. Um, about two months ago, we had a plan to come to Belle Valley. And I texted my uncle and I asked him if I could do something special at the castle. And he ended up um, getting me in contact with Jonathan Lee, the castle keeper. And from that point, we kind of just organized it and bounced ideas off each other. And, oh, so and your own, your, your uncle is the
6: owner of the castle, correct?
13: Right, right. Okay. Gary Wilson.
6: Okay, okay. So you got this. You got this plan together. And did Christie know anything about it?
13: Well, you know, maybe she had an idea. I don't know, but um, it was a good surprise. She, she definitely seemed uh, like she didn't know anything. So,
6: How did you show it to her? I mean, you, I think you were staying there at the moment, are you?
13: Yes. So we're here all week at Belle Valley Castle, just touring uh, Cove and... Uh, and, um, and yeah, so we made sure we, you know, I wanted to get it done early on in the week, right. My nerves were were a wee bit shot, so, um, yeah, it, it uh, it turned out really well. Really yeah, it looks fun. great. Super happy, it looks great. Yes, of course, you said yes.
7: <laughs>
6: <laughs> yes, I was. I was hoping that would be the case. <laughs> well, listen, congratulations to you both. That's a very windy line there, but sir, congratulations to Adam Gerges and Christy McDonald. Uh, Adam is the nephew of the owners of Belvelly Castle. Uh, it, it's great pictures of it on Cove News, the Cove News Facebook page. If you want to go and look at those, they're all over the place. But that's—I think—that's definitely a first for a marriage proposal using Castle. Castle. It's also up on our Twitter. We put the pictures up now on the uh, Twitter at Opinion Line ninety six. A woman whose lifelong passion has been baking. Look, there was more bakers out there during lockdown than than anything else. If I honestly never saw another slice of banana bread, it would be too soon. That was just people doing it for the fun of it. But for Catherine, it's been a thing she's done all her life. So she decided to turn it into a business during lockdown and indeed decided to turn it into a charity raising business for local charities. And she first raised quite an amount of money for St. Vincent de Paul. And now she's turning her attention to the Irish Community Air Ambulance with a book of traditional old-fashioned Irish recipes. We talked to her. Oh, here there she is. Catherine, good morning to you.
14: Good morning, PJ. How are you?
6: Good. Delighted to to talk with you.
14: So, and, and thank you very much indeed for for contacting me.
6: I watched I really your videos PJ this it. morning. And they're so simple, even I can follow them.
14: So, oh, so. That's great.
6: <laughs> so where did the where did the book come from?
14: Um, I'll tell you. Last November, um, I used to actually. All the time I used to be putting recipes on um, on my Facebook page and then several people were saying, why don't you go away and do a recipe book? So last November I decided to uh, put a little book together with the help of my daughter, Natalie. She was absolutely terrific. She did all the paperwork. She did the recipes out for me. She printed them. She did everything. Mm-hmm. So then, a friend of mine um, got the um, covers um, printed for me. So it was all go after that. Got them into the shops for December, and um, they were selling like hotcakes. <laughs> Literally. Yeah.
6: Not only, um, not not only is the are the recipes all homemade. The book is entirely homemade.
14: It is. Um, it goes back to um, the 60s when I was in school. The um, the National School and the Secondary School, they're the recipes that I was taught myself. Um, so um, they've changed slightly over the years, which is a shame. So the ones in the book are actually the original recipes uh, taught to me by the nuns in Germanwy and by my mother. Nice. So um, it's great so i raised um 6600 for St. Vincent de Paul with the books and um they were after getting very slow then, a PJ so um i asked St. Vincent de Paul could i change the um the what do you call it the um donation to air ambulance yes and they had absolutely no problem with that
6: yeah our, our good friend uh, Michal sheridan Formerly of the Mercy, for uh, Mercy Foundation, is now with the Irish Community Air Ambulance. So you've been dealing with them. It's a great charity and a great cause as well.
14: Oh, it's fantastic! Yeah. Absolutely, so absolutely.
6: What what kind of things are in the book?
14: Um, there's um, brown bridge, white bread. Um, as I say, they're they're the the original recipes, now they add other things to white bread today but the white bread in the book is actually the original recipe mm. it comes out lovely What, what do they like,
6: add to it that you don't like these days?
14: Oh, margarine oil <laughs> um, all these things you know, this is just um, flour, egg um, baked tartar mm. bread soda you Can know, you just get
6: baked tartar?
14: You can. I remember you my mother always had a it. tin of that. Yep. And I wondered what it was it. for. What is it? Yeah, that's what it's for. And it makes a beautiful brown cake. Now, you'd say, like, when you're making... A, sorry, a white cake. Mm. You'd say when you're making a white cake that um, you have to have margarine in it. But n- not, no way. It's, it's fabulous the way it is.
10: Mm. But,
14: um, yeah, so... Um, I'm trying, I'm actually looking for people to take my books, uh, PJ, in shops. Yeah, um,
6: you have a list on, on your Facebook page. Go through the list that you already have as stockists and then we'll see if we can find more for you because that's what you're trying to do. The more people you can get the books out to, the more people that, you, that we can get to buy them yeah. and raise more money.
14: Yeah, well, I have um, people in, in Mellow. Annette Nigel is actually looking after the Mellow side of me, you know, Annette. I do. Um, we have uh, Winnie O'Sullivan, uh, she's in Bentry. she's looking after the Bantry side of it from me. Right. Um, there, I had to take them out of Cove due to no sale, unfortunately. Right. Um, you never know, um, they yes, might, been, maybe
6: when they heard about it now I might go back in there again, you never yeah, know.
14: Yeah, and there's no one in the centre of the city now either because there was no sale there. They're in Belling Colleague, right. um, they're in Donneray's, uh, where else now have I got okay. them? You got them all oh, over. The
7: place. If anyone, and, you... and,
14: ah. and of course McCroom,
7: McCroom.
6: of course, McCroom. you originally are a Dunmanway woman, are you? I
14: am. Oh, I am. Right. And
6: then you went to went to school with the nuns. I
14: went. To, I went to school with the nuns in Mucklera Secondary School.
6: And is it um, true that you bake? Your,
14: did you bake your own wedding cake? I did. How did you find that out? <laughs> <laughs> How
6: on earth did you end up baking your own wedding cake?
14: Well, I don't know. I was just always making fruit cakes and things, and uh, my mum was a terrific uh, Christmas cake maker and plum pudding, and uh, she gave me a hand. And a lady, she was McCarthy. She used to ice cakes, so she did the icing of them, and I did the baking of them. So <laughs> I'm proud to say that. that's, actually, that's, that's de- that. but that's
6: devotion to the craft, like that. To make actually went and you made your own your your own wedding cake, and then they tell me that you are very heavily involved in the Tidy Towns in McCroom, and that fairy garden, you have a lot to do with that.
14: Oh, my goodness. I retired there recently from both of them, PJ. Right. So So, um, yeah, so I was, yeah, I was involved in both of them, and I enjoyed my time there, and uh, made great friends. That's yeah. what I did, so. Yeah.
6: Who's, yeah. Your, who's your helper on the videos?
14: Who's my, oh, that's James. He's my grandchild, um, and... <laughs> He's absolutely terrific. That fella can put his hand to anything. Um, James will never go to college, PJ, because he's a truck addict. And he will. you'll buy him a tractor for Christmas. And James will have the tires, the steering wheel, everything taken off of it. And he'll have them put back together again. Good for and him. He's, he's only eight years of age in December. Good for he's, him. He's unbelievable with his hands. Good for but him. he loves cooking as well. He loves cooking, you know. He tries right. his hand at anything.
6: Right, it's so the book, it. and you have a Facebook page. Um,
14: I have Catherine's old Time Recipes. All
6: Time Recipes. Yeah. The book, you can get the book through there or through any one of your suppliers, and it's all going to the Irish community. It's all community.
14: going to the Irish, yeah.
6: Air Ambulance. Irish how, how long more will they be on sale for?
14: Um, I'm hoping to get rid of them before November PJ because it's taking up an awful lot of my life I'm at it now I'll be at it a year since last November and um, I made the first donation to Air Ambulance on Saturday night um, 2,760
6: Ah go here and and how many many books have you to sell
14: Um, I'd say what's in the shops at the moment plus 400 at home and they're gone then
6: All right. Well, listen, if anybody wants to copy... There's a bit of
14: 400 books now. That'd be brilliant. (laughs) How much is the book? Um, 10 euros, PJ, and it's only 2 euros to post it out anywhere in Ireland. All
6: right, Okay. Listen, good luck with it. It's a lovely, simple idea. A homemade book, but literally a homemade book for homemade recipes and cakes and going to a fantastic cause. (coughs) Vincent de Paul, uh, before last year, and now the Irish Community Air Ambulance. Her first donation alone was over two thousand euros. She got four hundred left plus what's out in the shop in the shops. If she sells those at a tenner a pop, it'd be a nice little chunk of change for the ambulances at the end of the air. ambulance at the end of it. Well done, Catherine.
3: Can we just talk the
6: opinion line on Corks ninety six
2: FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. Cmig.ie. Corks ninety six FM.
6: Now, you, oh yeah, this, I don't know if you've seen this or not. There's a, a video, has uh, really caught on on social media of a young lad. Uh, we, we're told he's around five. He's playing football on the beach in Yall. And his opponents or his playmates, all them what you will, are nuns, nuns. As Father Jack,
7: nuns.
6: As Father Jack used to say, yeah. Anthony Kelly is the little lad's name. He's from the Glen, and his his mam said that the the nuns were great, crack, lovely people, and they even gave him a holy medal afterwards. But the video is flying around social media of that young lad, uh, Anthony Kelly, playing playing football on the beach in. All with the nuns. Speaking of social media, now here's a tie in, all right? I watched this, I started watching this uh, last night with the Queen Bee. It's trending high on the Netflix top 10 in Ireland at the moment. It's number one or two. It's one of these limited series. It's 10 parter. And the reason I mentioned the social media is social media comes into it big time. It's clickbait, is what it's called. It's about a guy. Ordinary bloke who disappears and turns up on a video. And the threat is that if the video reaches five million hits, he'll be killed. And we've just sat down to the first couple of episodes. It's brilliant. Clickbait, it'll reel you in. Uh, Netflix, well worth a watch. Well worth a watch. 1850 715 996. Now, you'll have seen them popping up around town over the last uh, couple of weeks and and months. Uh, there's one in Douglas, and there's one in Balling and there's one in Glenmire, and inside in town there's one at the Cook Street, and uh, South Mall, and one down, that's outside the Imperial there. There's one down in Wandersford's Quay, and Sullivan's Quay, lovely one there in Sullivan's Quay. Little sets of wooden benches with little planters inside them and people come and sit in them and have their coffee and whatever. And they're called parklets. and They've been popping up and down around the city for the last while. And Siobhan Kyo is the designer of the parklets. Siobhan, good morning.
15: Hi, how are you? They're being
6: officially launched today, even though people have been using them and enjoying them for many, many months. Define a parklet.
15: I suppose the idea behind them is that they take up two, they're a mini park, I suppose, and they, they replace two car parking spaces that's so kind of play on the word from a few different angles. But it's, um, yeah, it's a social space, really, where there were two car parking spaces. And there, there's just a little pocket with them, somewhere for people to meet and relax. And then there's some pollinator-friendly planting as well, so it's kind of greening up the city a bit.
6: Yeah, there's a lovely one outside the Imperial, and, and right in the, the height of lockdown when they were just starting to do the the... The, the take out stuff from the Imperial at lunch there one friday they're, they're a lovely little idea
15: yeah, they're nice they're they're definitely a nice addition to the city um, i think it's it's great to see people use them you know at all hours of the day and night and you know so, you know live in the city as well who don't have gardens or who don't kind of have an outdoor space themselves, I think they make a lot of use of it as well as people just popping in and getting their coffee or.
6: Are, are they a new idea, Siobhan, that you devised, or did you see them somewhere else and say, "I want to do that"?
15: Uh, no, well, they were—they're kind of—they're very big in um, San Francisco. I think was the original, um, very popular. Um, San Francisco. I mean, they're in cities like London. They're in quite a few European cities like Amsterdam, and Copenhagen, and it was actually original, the original—the original pilot project was on was the one on Douglas Street, yes, by Scott Studio.
6: Yeah, that, that, um, I actually passed that the other day and it looked fabulous. I actually thought I actually thought it was a flower display for the yeah, for the they, shop. All this little park inside there. It's great.
15: Yeah, you know they they do a fabulous job and uh, maintaining it. Um so yeah, that was the original one. It was it was um the TMF the Cork Transport and Mobility Forum um and together with Cork City Council in 2019 um, and the Cork Flower Studio because this fast um cork between the businesses on Douglas Street. So they kind of um, came together and pushed the idea and then I was brought on as a designer for it and it just, um, it just went really well. Like the original one was only supposed to be there for a couple of months. Mm. And then there was a public petition, but uh, permanently, and then there was more funding made available then for the next 10, which are in, installed this year.
6: Yeah. Each one has a partner, doesn't it? The par- a, p- a partner business. Like in Cook Street, it's Il Padrino and in Union Key, it's the three little piggies. And what does the partner do then?
15: Yeah, so the, the kind of structure of it is they're funded by the, the city council. Um, they're made and they're built by Bench Space, who are a kind of a social cooperative enterprise down in the marina there, employing local craftspeople, um, designed by myself. And then there was a call out then um, for partner businesses. So it's a partner business and is um, responsible for the daily maintenance of it. So they do the plan they have to do the you know, keeping it clean and giving it a sweep and that kind of stuff yeah. and obviously they benefit then from having it well they benefit obviously from having it outside their business but it has to be, it has to be open to the public you know it's not private just for your coffee from whatever yeah.
6: Um, yeah so you can bring it like you don't have to bring it from the business outside the door, you, you can bring it from anywhere
15: Anywhere yeah absolutely. Great. they're totally open to the public and um, accessible to anybody all the yeah. time
6: Now I think they'll be, they'll be planted and replanted all year round who'll be responsible for that?
15: Yes, yeah, so that's the partner. Um, the partner business is right? Um The in the business, and then I think there are a few kind of community groups and stuff involved as well. Um, Green Spaces for Health, I think, is one. Um, the name is gave you enough know, for the rest of them, but... Yeah. Yeah, the 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 partner business and
6: they'll kind of be de- planted again with the seasons um, as they change. So we now have one just go, going through the list. You've got the Douglas Street which is the original one we mentioned there. Cook Street, South Mall, Union Quay, Sullivan's Quay, Wandersford Quay, uh, Main Street, Balling College Main Street, Douglas which is just opposite because I know it's just opposite. Driscoll's there and outside the new Japanese restaurant uh, and Glenmire, the Crestfield Shopping Centre there. Uh, and have you more? Have have you, have you more to come,
15: do you think? Uh, well, there's there's definitely there's two more that are um, so they're they're fabricated down like that in bench space, and um, so there's two more ready to go. We're just waiting to, um, for the city council to decide on locations. And then I think there's maybe six more in the pipeline
6: Brilliant. Um, for next year. So they'll be all over the place. Fabulous. Well, great to, they're, they're lovely. They're, they're, they're a lovely addition to the city and to wherever they are. The one in Douglas proving very popular with people grabbing coffee and sitting down there. And with the good, good weather of late, they're a lovely place to, to just chill out for 20 minutes. Siobhan, thank you. Uh, well done to them. Uh, for, to you for them. That's Siobhan Keogh, the designer of those little parklets popping up around the city and out into the suburbs and more of them to come being officially launched this week by the Lord Mayor. Uh, the city ones today and the ones out in the suburbs being officially launched on Thursday. As a contrast, you see... We have beautiful things. You know, the way I'll say it. these are, this is why we can't have beautiful things. Because yesterday we heard about from Joe Seward was telling us yesterday, or earlier on about that, what looked like a brawl between two fellas in the middle of Patrick Street at quarter to six holding up the buses outside, outside Waterstones. And then yesterday afternoon, oh my God, oh my God. Yesterday afternoon, I saw someone throwing up. Into the river in the middle of the day. It is a small incident, but it was disgusting. All you hear about is oh, indoor dining and outdoor dining and pedestrianised cork. Sure, I wanted to get sick myself at the sight of it. All the carry on in the city centre. You'd want to be crazy to go in there to enjoy yourself. And actually, I mentioned that the morning after the All-Ireland Final. And I know that what happened there was that they were just overwhelmed. The lads were out on the street, the, the guys who do fabulous work every single morning of the year, Christmas morning included. They're up cleaning the streets for us to make them presentable. But that particular morning, the morning after the hurling final, the streets were in a wogious state. And the worst of it was outside, just there by Dawn Square, that sort of stone bench outside. Is, is it Deals have a shop there and there was like, there was discarded pizza and there was crushed cans and there was a pool of what had been somebody's dinner and passing that at 7 o'clock in the morning is is, is really... <laughs> no, I Where did they... Where did that happen? Someone just being sick in... See, that would put you off for good luck.
7: Can we just... Talk?
6: Opinion Line
3: on Cork's 96
2: FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. C-M-I-G dot
6: Programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We shall see you tomorrow just after nine.